What's up, Internet? My name's Nerdy, and this is a baby book club. You're on the Nerdy Wordy Book Club feed, either on YouTube or the podcast feed, whether you're watching or listening. Thank you so much. I am very lucky today to be joined not by my wife, who is usually beside me for these, but instead by a fantastic author who is moving from the nonfiction space into the fiction space for the first time. I am joined today by Sarah Arthur, whose book, Once a Queen, will be out tomorrow, if you catch this, right when it drops. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me today. So glad to be with you. Thanks so much for having me. So you are entering the fiction space, as I just said. You've you've written this first foray into telling an original, fantastical story. How are you feeling uh, with this book when recording this, just a few days from getting into the hands of the people? Oh my gosh. Well, fiction's my first love. So the little girl... In, in me who was writing stories from the time she was small is kind of freaking out like total unprofessional shrieking not gonna lie um but the professional author who's done like 12 nonfiction books and um you know i i'm kind of like I, you know this 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 feels familiar in mm-hmm. some ways especially the launch part of things um but yeah it's it's a challenge to uh, not feel like a poser especially when you're entering the world of fantasy, right? Um, it's a tough crowd and they're amazing and wonderful and also very, very smart. So it's, uh, um, yeah, yeah, I, I love that. So I've been having conversations in this space in nonfiction for a really long time, but now, you know, now it's time. Now so it's time. you started this project 10 years ago. Uh, 20. 20 years 20. ago. Okay, well, the press release from your publicist was wrong. Uh, I was told uh, that you started this 10 years ago in NaNoWriMo. Yes, I started writing it, actually Mm -hmm. doing some of the really significant drafting. But the idea was 20 years ago. And I, I, you know, mapped out some synopses and sample chapters that were so terrible that they're probably not worth mentioning. But (laughs) yes, 10 years ago, NaNoWriMo, um, I was like, the story is burning in me. I had a newly walking toddler at the time so i think it was a way of like attempting to keep sane yes (laughs) um and also probably to avoid having to finish a nonfiction contract that's like my specialty is to procrastinate on the stuff i really have to get done by you know either watching my favorite movies or reading my favorite books or writing stuff i'm not supposed to be writing at the time (laughs) I, i feel like every author we talk to for this or, or just in life is like, yeah. So I started writing this book because I didn't want to write another book. And 100%. so. Yep. It, it's that, or like, I didn't want to clean my house or yeah, yeah. You know, fold a thousand pairs of tiny socks um, with my one-year-old. So yeah, I mean, I think, right. But then when that is the thing you have to write, then you're going to be coming up with other reasons not to do it. Right. So, so oh, it's 100%, just, yeah. Yeah, that's the uh, that's the other that's the flip side of the procrastinator. Um, how how does it feel to be a person who's successfully nano remote? I feel like it's it's that November comes around every year, and I get the like flood of people being like, "This is the year I'm writing my book." Let's do it. I and know you took one of those and you you've published it. It's it's going to be a real thing that people can hold. It's wild to me, um, particularly since I feel like. I'm not, I'm not a really good fast drafter. And so a lot of it was just getting the story out. And a lot of it was super bad. Um, that's, I'm, 
so I think, I mean, it's kind of miraculous though, that what you can take, you can't edit a book you haven't written, right? You can't mm -hmm. revise anything that's not there. So um, the gift of NaNoWriMo to a lot of people, even if they don't finish, is that they now have something. Um, and at least for me, uh, I would say the um, the the fast the fast drafting uh, taught me like at a certain point, um, you you're kind of like the basketball player that's been doing reps all along, and you got to step up to the free throw line during the game and actually shoot. Like you got to do this, and you have to be confident that you can. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that was that was one of the gifts of that of that season. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so that's once fun. a queen follows Ava, who is a fourteen year old girl, or Eva, I'm not sure. Eva, Eva. Yeah. Uh, so uh, a 14-year-old girl who goes to her grandmother's house with her mom uh, for a very chaotic and interesting summer. Uh, but uh, it's, it's a going home story in a way uh, about finding the, the family that you didn't know you had. Um, mm -hmm. What led you to uh, want to write about this sort of discovering one's own ancestry so deeply into mm -hmm. your plot? Yeah. Well, first of all, what 14-year-old girl um, who lo has loved fairy tales does not dream of um, finding out that you're, you know, you have distant relatives in England who um, live in manor houses and were maybe somebody important once. Um, and so, you know, the you, princess like, diaries dreams. It's, it's so 100% that and like, you know, it's it's Mary Lennox arriving at the manor house of Namor um, in a secret garden and you know, you, you, you wake up in this mysterious place and you, you want to explore it. Um, but when you're 14, you don't really have permission the way children do to like unlock locked doors and wander where you're not allowed to go. Mm -hmm. Um, so, I, you know, that's, that's, that's part of it is just that, that I remember loving those kinds of stories. Elizabeth Googe's the white horse, the little white horse, which JK Rowling loves. Um, that's, you know, that's, that's another one where, especially arriving at night so you can't really see everything and then you wake up in the morning and you're like where's mm -hmm. this, this magical place um which my character doesn't do she gets to see the whole thing unfold but the other thing was um i have worked with teenagers for a very long time i volunteered um worked full-time in religious settings i've been a middle school substitute teacher i have um, a preteen and teenage son of my own um and so like one of the things that that I've I've really um, experienced with teens is their their sense that the world is kind of prescribing what they're supposed to be interested in, right? Yeah. Like right now, you're supposed to care about friends and sex and you know things you're not supposed to be doing and experimenting. And some kids are interested, and other kids are just like like right now, my grandma's sick. That's what really matters to me, kind of thing. So. I felt like um, kind of going into that intergenerational space that mm -hmm. teens also care about was really important. Um, and that animates a lot of this story, especially Eva's relationship with her grandmother, who mm -hmm. is a very broken person um, and trying to figure out the mysteries of why, right? Um, yeah, that's that was felt important to me. Yeah, I think it, it's also that age where for the first time, I think you start to see the humanity in your parents and your grandparents. Correct. There's that, yes. that moment where you realize that they have problems that aren't just that you need food, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and mm -hmm. I think that the yeah. <laughs> there's a pretty strong um, relationship between the main character and grief um, throughout mm -hmm. the book, especially in relation mm -hmm. to 
her mom, her relationship with her mom, her relationship with her grandfather, and the way in which their relationship to each other impacts her. Um, yes. What yeah. What was the process of building out this family dynamic and this really like matriarchal family dynamic of where mm-hmm. most of the men are mm-hmm. either away or um, no longer with them? Uh, right. how, how did you build out that kind of like three generations of trauma? Hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, it's, I, I'm not sure I set out to do that. I was really just more intrigued by like a kind of speculative space where, um, or, you know, C.S. Lewis used the word supposal, a supposal, like suppose this happens, you know, what, you know, suppose this was a, a, a real thing, what would happen? Um, and I love that kind of idea. And so I was kind of playing around with a supposal um, about the grandmother's past. And I thought, well, what if she did grow up? What, what if what if after children from fairy tales stories have adventures in other worlds, what if they what happens to them in our mm-hmm. world after that? Right. Um, so suppose, uh, you know, you're an American teenager, you meet your British grandmother for the first time and there's something really weird about her and something in her past so um so that supposal also kind of intrigued me but then um i also at age 14 lost my maternal grandmother to cancer um it was one of my first memories of loss Mm -hmm. Um, and she lived with us for a little while uh, while she was in decline and there was something about the experience of watching my mother navigate um, my own grandmother's uh, decline mm. was um, was really powerful. I mean, like your freshman year, or sophomore year of high school, you're trying to figure yourself out and you're, you know, trying to figure out friendships and all of that. But then like, you're also like, am I going to come home and grandmother's kind of lost her mind from, you know, the, the process of dying. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah. And I think a lot of teens walk in a space of where it's like a minefield where they're wondering at what point are if if I push too hard to figure out what's going on with the grown-ups around me is that going to just like mess everything up and how much Mm -hmm. of this is my fault and like you know so um so that became layered in I think that that sense that oh this isn't a just about a supposal this is also about me at 14 Mm -hmm. and my grandma right Absolutely. I, I think that that personal experience is very um, evident throughout the book. Mm-hmm. Um, you, Thank you, you. You, have a, you have a history with um, devotional writing. Um, you've mm-hmm. written a bestseller, uh, Walking with Frodo, which is a yep. devotional walk with uh, the story of Lord of the Rings. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, I think that um, it, it's pretty clear that you've spent a lot of time analyzing faith and your faith. What mm-hmm. was, is that what inspired you to make this story so much about a lead character trying to rationalize faith and sort of mm. exist within a, a faith system that is not is is being told on one side is very true and on by so many others the closer relatives on her side is very not and you know kind of trying mm-hmm. to balance her faith between those two ideas yeah yeah well again i mean as as teens begin to make that turn toward adulthood they're beginning to question even the sort of belief systems that they grew up with and they're um sometimes they're told they're supposed to be (laughs) um but sometimes they really are you know they're really asking those questions that are born out of their um what they're learning in science or you know um psychology all of that stuff and um and that's i i would 
I think for me, um, the experience of growing growing up in a family of um, believers meant that I wasn't always aware that other people weren't, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like, but, um, but my, my maternal grandmother was not. And while she was super respectful and, you know, was never unkind about religion in my family, um, she, she had clearly experienced some things that had deeply wounded her um, and, and had really turned her back on, um, on any kind of faith. Um, and I, you know, again, that's a really normal human experience. It's not, um, it's not something that my parents even attempted to shield me from. Mm -hmm. Um, there wasn't anything that frightened any of us about that. It's just what happens sometimes. So for Eva, my main character, um, she, she at heart is a believer, right? Like she really wants to believe that, um, that fairy tales can be true, for instance, you know, I'm not, I don't try to do, I hate allegory. I'm just going to say that right now. Um, I was trying to do a lot more of like what Tolkien is doing in the Lord of the Rings. He called it applicable. Like there Mm -hmm. are spiritual things in there and you can apply them to different aspects of your life. Um, and the longer you marinate in something, uh, like faith, the more that flavor is going to come out and what you do. I mean, it's, you know, Tolkien had lots of letters from Catholics who were like, Galadriel is our mother. And <laughs> he was like, oh, sure. Uh, but yeah. If you want, just keep buying the books. <laughs> yeah, just keep reading. Just yeah. keep reading. Um, so I I didn't want to, that to be so like knocking people over the head, but I also think it's a very true human experience mm-hmm. to at age 14 wonder if when you put your foot down on this thing, is it solid all the way down? Is mm-hmm. it gonna hold me up anymore? Yeah. So, yeah. so uh, the the book takes place at a manor house uh, in uh, a part of England uh, that is known as the Wolverns. Uh, have you spent a lot of time in England? Was this like a, a favorite place from your childhood or where, where did the idea from the Wolverns come from? Oh, I I love this question. You're I've been, talking a lot about this book with people is the first time anyone has asked me about um, the village in the West Midlands where a lot of this takes place. But the Wolverne Hills are invented. Um, they're, they're based on the Mulvern Hills, um, which are in the West, the West Midlands. And they're very similar in a lot of ways. But, it, but by inventing my own version of them, I was able to kind of make them, shape them the way I wanted them yeah, to be. Yeah. Um, and build the villages the way I needed them to be. Um, but it was, it's not a part of England that I know super well, but it animates a lot of the landscape for some of the classic fantasy and fairy tale writers like Tolkien and Lewis. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they hiked actually even together. They went on a lot of walks and Lewis in particular loved the Malvern Hills. Um, so I thought, okay, well, if I'm going to, um, stand on the shoulders of giants. Uh, it it would be, you know, I want to be evoking the same kinds of feelings you have reading those stories, even though I'm telling my own story, mm-hmm. um, because we do we layer we we layer all of that into our reading, um, and that that like inventing a space where it feels familiar um, was actually so fun. Oh my gosh, so so fun. So, but weirdly enough. I went to, um, I was trying to figure out 
what I wanted the pub to look like, even though it doesn't show up really in the story much, it will in future mm -hmm. um, part, books in the series. And I was like, I need to find something that looks kind of like this, maybe like, except for not the fox and hounds, but like the stag and hounds, something like that. So I was like Googling different things around the Malvern Hills and there it was, the very, yeah. very pub I had in mind. I was like, well, how did I just, this just like materialized from my imagination. It's like art imitating life or mm -hmm. was it life imitating art? I don't know. Uh, so, so you bring up uh, Lewis and Tolkien, and I, I think that this is a book that wears its um, inspirations on its sleeve quite a bit. Mm -hmm, uh, you mm -hmm. you reference a lot of them within the book, um, yep. particularly early on. What about the traditional portal fantasy story that you're telling? Uh, what about the genre excited you, and what were the elements of that genre that you wanted to play with and maybe bend the rules around to tell your own story? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I've, it, it's really interesting. I have not, um, when I was a kid, I was much more interested in historical fiction, like Island of the Blue Dolphins and Witch of Blackbird Pond. Um, but so it took me a while to get into just straight fantasy, like mm -hmm. the Lord of the Rings. I'm not sure I completed the entire Lord of the Rings compendium till college, I think. Oh, wow. Um, I, so... Um, but once I did, it was like, I was all in, right? Mm -hmm. Like this, this is pure wizardry. I don't know how he does it. He's amazing. Yeah. But, um, but I did read the Chronicles of Narnia. And I think what I loved about those stories was the possibility of other worlds breaking in on this one. Um, because what it, 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 um, Lewis uses the phrase re-enchants. It re-enchants the worlds we live in mm -hmm. that if you're walking by a tree, and um and you know that trees get up and move around in these stories you're reading like what if right like mm -hmm. oh my gosh um and then if animals can talk in those other stories what if what if someday you know that mm -hmm. rabbit talked to me um and so the possibility of other worlds breaking in on this one i think that that's really it like it just feels like there's a lot that you can do with that mm -hmm. um and so I tried my hand at it. It was fun. I'm not sure it's always successful <laughs> um, because, you know, like how do you not, like we are all derivative. Like yeah. anyone who's ever written anything, um, even Lewis and Tolkien, right? Yeah. Derivative. So we've got Hans Christian Andersen's Snow Queen in there um, in Narnia. And we've got E. Nesbitt's The Aunt and Amabel in Narnia. And we have, you know, Wagner's Ring Cycle and Norse mythology and Tolkien and Beowulf. So, um, so yeah, I, I'm not going to pretend to be an original genius. Uh, but <laughs> a heck of a lot of fun. <laughs> it, it is tough. We, we had a similar conversation with um, uh, Christopher Paolini uh, yeah. uh, when we were talking with him about Murtag in yep. the, you know, the, these genres have tropes that mm -hmm. are part of the reason why we love them, right? Like the mm -hmm. audience... Mm -hmm likes the familiarity of yes. certain elements playing out a certain way. And so you, you you almost have to play in with a certain amount of the genre in order to satisfy that audience and tweak it just enough that those same people are, get excited about it. Right, um, that's right. And so, so you created this world, uh, we, we've talked about the Wolverines, which you created, but then you also had to create this um, uh, other world, Turnival. Um, yes. And... Uh, the, this world is introduced to the audience through epigraphs at the beginning of the chapters. 
and there's sort of this background story going on. When you were writing the book, did you start with Eva's story and then build Turnaval out later? Or did you start with Turnaval and the epigraphs and then sort of figure out how the modern day was going to play out? Yeah, no, it was all Eva at first. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, some of the, I, I just got great feedback early on from people who were like, you know, you have the chops to create a create worlds. Like, mm -hmm. why are you not, you know, we, we want to see what she's talking about. Um, and that was very heartening and also very terrifying. <clears throat> um, but it was, it, you know, I, it, they mostly started as experiments, but then in time I was like, oh, this is, this is actually kind of working. Um, and that, that felt, um, again, like homage, you know, to all of these authors mm -hmm. and writers that gone before us um by um you know trying my hand at, at stuff that they had mastered so well um and realizing crap this is really hard <laughs> um but then you know characters would show up that i that i wasn't planning on who were just delightful and wonderful like mm -hmm. angela the archeress who who um you know battles the wolf in the woods i realized oh i'm I am doing some different things here. The Queens are really stealing the show. Like mm -hmm. this is their story. Um, she is the mother of Queens and that's what gives her, you know, the fierceness mm -hmm. to do what she does in my, my little excerpts between chapters. Yeah. Um, awesome. Uh, so the, the relationship uh, between the family members is really big in this, uh, but there is also this very, um, intricate relationship between Eva and the staff around the manor mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. with uh, Stokes and his family. What was yes. the process of um, balancing sort of the etiquette and expectation of this British family that you've created mm -hmm. with trying to really create this personal and um, almost uh, impolite relationship between Eva and the Stokes family? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, well, it, it's very confusing to Eva at first because, of course, she grew up in the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, that's where her mother immigrated after, you know, the mysterious estrangement <laughs> that Eva's trying to figure out. Um, and so, you know, they, that's where Eva has lived. She's never, never been in England. And she actually doesn't know a whole lot about her mother's family and, you know, whatever strata they they inhabit in England. Um, but I will say that my my editor uh, at the imprint of Penguin Random, Random House I'm published with was super helpful because she's one of those people that's like, well, you understand that this is how, you know, um, titled people are addressed in <laughs> like, it's like, oh crap, okay. Um, so, and this is after, you know, how many BBC shows have I watched or, mm -hmm. you know, Jane Austen novels have I read and I still, it's still baffling to most Americans, um, but that allowed me to be inside of Eva a little better because I, I could imagine as for, a fourteen-year-old being like, "Well, why can't I eat in the kitchen mm -hmm. with these people that seem like more normal, like me, as opposed to eating up in the fancy dining room with my very cold and distant, weird grandmother and my mom, who has suddenly stopped talking." since we got here so so it's like she's torn between these two these two worlds um and i i did that on purpose because i think there's a lot of how you feel at 14 trying to fit in wherever you are 
um, and feeling like you don't, right? Um, and so I, I just thought, well, that's fun. Let's amplify, let's amplify that. And she has this affinity for the staff, mm -hmm. um, in part because, you know, she's able to make a friends with the grandson of the gardener. Um, but also she can't ignore these very real relationships within her own family mm -hmm. upstairs as opposed to downstairs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and of course, lots of nods to the secret garden in all of that too. Yes. And the gardener, all of it. Yeah. I've actually never read The Secret Garden. Um, Ooh. I've only Ooh. auditioned for the musical many times oh. and not gotten it. <laughs> and so I've, I keep telling myself that when, if I ever do the musical somewhere, I'll read the book finally. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I've sung that If It'll Wick, It'll Grow song for yeah. countless tables of old men. Uh, right. right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you're now, you're now a published fiction author. Uh, and uh, I've been told there's going to be sequels to this book, uh, yes. which is unsurprising, uh, having read it. Um, oh, oh! But uh, no, it's 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 fun. I I thought it was a I thought it was a fun read. It's it's there's a lot going on there. The relationships are dense, and and there's a lot to chew through, which I really enjoyed. Um, mm -hmm. And also, there's there's room, you know, the the book the book. I feel like the book has a, a solid ending, but also has room for it to continue. Um, yes. Yeah, it, it better continue because otherwise I have left a lot of like, who is this and why and what? And so Gemstones? Yeah. Um, yeah, what? Little teases. Uh, are are you like, is is your plan to just keep going in this world for now? Or are you going back to nonfiction? Like, what are, what are your goals moving oh. forward now that you've kind of accomplished this one? Yeah. Um, well, I'll tell you, as, you know, launching a series is not, not a small thing. Mm -hmm. Um and, and originally this book was a standalone, but you know, you get an agent involved and they're like, well, let's pitch some other ancillary ideas. And that's the, actually what ended up happening with a, a three book contract, which is wonderful and terrifying actually. So, so honestly, like, I'm just going to keep my head down and mm -hmm. crank these stories out and then we'll see where we go from here. But my brain is constantly in conversation with the rest of the world. Like yeah. I'm always like, Ooh, that would make a really great essay collection or um you know whatever yeah yeah Parenting, book but you know I, I have a 13 year old and a 10 year old right now it's like so much to say about being a parent I was much much better at parenting before I had kids but <laughs> now that I have them I also have lots to say <laughs> we're not going to get like a walking with Galadriel a devotional journey through <laughs> the rings of power oh man I mean we keep going with all that that was that was just an absolute blast of a run with mm -hmm. books about those great films i mean it was so much to talk about especially with teens yeah. who those books are aimed at mm -hmm. well and and in those movies too in a way i i we we do a oh absolutely. we do an annual um lord of the rings marathon at our house where we oh, have yeah. like 25 to 30 people over and we just have the movies on um, that's coming up for us in like three weeks here. So I'm so excited. Oh my gosh. I've done that with like, I've been invited to like youth groups that have done that mm -hmm. over a weekend. Like, and, and I'm not kidding by the end, you know, the youth leaders are, and I are sitting in the back, like just throw it into the mountain. My God, just <laughs> throw it in the mountain. Like send these kids home. They smell. It's just, yeah, it's a lot. We have a lot it's more a alcohol lot. involved, so there's no children, but, uh, we're still having, uh, we're vibing see, by the end. We're having a good we're time. At church. Mm, doesn't help no <laughs> no <laughs> um well but when you get home all bets are off 
I just want to say thank you so much for talking to me today. This has been an absolute pleasure. I'm so excited for this book to come out tomorrow and for people to get their hands on it. Uh, Once a Queen uh, will be on bookshelves. Uh, I, I'm, I don't know. Is there an audiobook for it? There is, and I got to do some of it. Oh, fun. That's awesome. It was so much fun. Yep. So, yeah, it, it'll be a, um, Penguin Random House has a relation as a connection with Listening Library. So mm-hmm. it's all through, through that. Yeah. Wonderful. So pick up uh, Kindle, uh, the audiobook, the physical copy, whatever way you prefer to read. You know, I, uh, as a dyslexic boy myself, I don't gatekeep that. Uh, y'all know I read on my Kindle because I need that black background white text. Uh, whatever way you are consuming books is a great way to consume books. Keep reading uh, and uh, pick up Sarah Arthur's Once a Queen. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me today. So glad to be here. Thank you. Uh, if you like this video, like subscribe to the channel. If you don't, hit the dislike button. Leave me in comments down below because the algorithm goddess hungry and we must feed her. This episode, that algorithm goddess is Eva because she's the main character and you don't know her yet, but you should. If you want to follow me around the internet, you can. I'm at Nerdy Nightly. And if you'd like to follow Sarah, you can follow her over at... Holy Dreaming or Sarah Arthur Writes. Wonderful. As always, y'all, do something nerdy tonight. Bye. Bye.